Thank you, Paxton, Heather, and Tiffany, and Aaron, team, everyone. Good morning. Happy Easter. He's risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Uh, excited to worship with each and every one of you this morning. If you will, turn uh, in your Bibles, if you have it with you, to John's Gospel. We're going to be in chapter 20. John's Gospel, chapter 20, uh, primarily in verses 1 through 21. Uh, if you have your Bible, that's where we're going to be uh, this morning. Uh, look, we've had an incredible few days together in the life of our church. Uh, this past week on Palm Sunday, uh, seeing the entrance of Jesus and walking through historically and truthfully what happens and what takes place in this holy week uh, where Jesus has dinner with his disciples. He gives them this command to love one another as he has loved them. And he foretells of his death yet again in the bread and the cup. And then we celebrate, and we celebrated on Friday, the very death of Jesus. This blood that is shed for the remission of our sins. And this morning we come to celebrate that he is not dead. That he is risen. And this morning we preach and we proclaim a literal resurrection. That Jesus truly was raised from the dead. I want to share this with you because I think it's pertinent. We're modern people and we live in a modern world. I think we use language where we talk about things like miracles. And we might even just like say with our lips like that, you know, I've heard of this thing. Or we might call something a miracle or say things. And quite often we don't really believe the astounding, wonder-working things that God is doing among us even now. And this morning we preach that they all find their power in this moment of resurrection. So this morning we're going to pray together. And we're going to ask God to open the eyes of our heart to that truth. That we would truly believe in our core, you and I together, that Jesus is risen. That these would not be simple words that are uttered in passing because it's the phrase of the day, but that this is the phrase that gives life, that it is true. So if you will, uh, bow your head for a moment and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to this place to worship you. And yet you know even better than us how our, our minds and our hearts, Father, even fail to grasp the deep truth that all of life is wrapped up in these simple phrases that it is finished and that he is risen. God, would you work in our hearts even this morning to cause us to believe and to rest in this truth anew or to believe it even for the very first time? Father, we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. John's Gospel this morning is where we'll be. We've spent uh, some time this week here at Double Oak walking through John's Gospel, Palm Sunday, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, even to this moment. Uh, we're really going to be focusing on verses 19 through 21 specifically. But in order to get to that place, we need to start at verse 1 in John's Gospel, chapter 20, so we can see the context, see everything that's happening in this glorious Resurrection Sunday. So if you will, read with me 
this is John chapter 20, verses 1 through 21. It says this, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loves, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I'll take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, The first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. This is the word of the Lord to which we say together. Thanks be to God. All of these things, all of these things that are happening at the resurrection, they all really culminate in this phrase, peace be with you. This simple phrase, peace be with you. Everything that has led up to this moment ends in this really simple way. The Jesus that the disciples had lost, the one whom they saw die and be buried, be buried as any other human would, and thought to be gone, has come to them. And this is what he says. He says, peace be with you. This is a common phrase. This is the Hebrew, Aramaic equivalent of 
How are you? How are you doing? Does anybody ever mean that when they say that? Like, I, like I've had a lot of, I've, I've had several people this morning say, how are you doing? But like they were gone before I could answer. <laughs> um, and that's, that's how it, it feels. I do the same thing. It's this kind of colloquial thing. It's this like normal phrase that we would say to one another. It's become this customary thing. And the wild thing about it is it's kind of, it's lost its meaning. Because if I ask you how you are, and it looks like this, how are you? And I'm gone. Or you do the same to me. It doesn't really accomplish the purpose that it set out to. When Jesus comes to his disciples, and he finds them hidden from the Jews. I want you to think about that phrase. He's, he's hiding from the people that God has chosen to know him, to trust him. Because they've turned, these chief priests, these elders were the ones who sought to crucify Jesus. And in so many ways, they're fearful that as his followers, they're going to be found out. That they're going to be pursued. That they're going to meet this death. That they're going to meet this end. They're hiding in fear. Jesus comes to them. And I, I want to say this truly with as, as much reverence as I can and offer to their ears. It would almost be as if the very Son of God appears. And the first words that he says are, how you doing? Casual. Is it? Is this what Jesus is doing? He's just saying like hello in the normal like way of the time or the way of the day. He's just kind of saying, how are you? How's it going? Well, first off, there'd be some responses. Hey, let me tell you how it's been. All right. We're locked away. We're hiding. But more than that, Jesus is doing something incredible with these words and with these language, with his language, because he's recovering all that this phrase was meant to mean from the beginning of its use with Hebrew people. This phrase, or this phrase rather, peace be with you, is the shalom. Specifically, alachem. Shalom alahim, it means peace be with you, peace be upon you. But it doesn't just mean this kind of like, I hope you're good. I hope, I hope, I hope you're okay. How you doing? It's not that. It had been reduced to that in this world. But the origin of this phrase is such that it meant looking toward and saying to someone else... That I believe in the coming peace of God. That I believe there will be this kingdom that God has promised that will come. Every Old Testament promise, every prophecy, everything is bound up and toward the shalom. The very peace of God that he would give his people. And there is no more people than those who are Jewish, who speak Hebrew, who long for the very peace of God because they've just seen Jesus crucified under this Roman state, this Roman government. And by the hands of Jews who profess to love God, the world has been turned upside down and it seems that there is no peace. And Jesus comes and he speaks peace to them And he is restoring in this moment the actual meaning of this phrase. That there is a kingdom in which peace rules and reigns. 
There is a kingdom in which the relationship between God and man is restored. And when Jesus says, peace be with you, this incredible thing is happening. Everything that is accomplished in the cross, all of the atonement, all of the redemption, all of the forgiveness of sins, all of the cleansing, all of the bondage that is broken, all of the enmity, the war with which we were at God with, all of this, all of the power of the cross, this blood that Jesus has shed, everything that's accomplished is now imparted. It is now given. It is now applied because of the power of the resurrection. This is the means by which this peace of God is to be restored. Jesus tells his disciples, peace be with you. And then he shows them what has been accomplished. He shows them, the scriptures say in John right here, his hands and his side. He reveals to them his resurrected body. And he has to say, peace be with you again. This is traditional in ancient writings, specifically Hebrew ones, for things to be repeated over and over to show their emphasis, to show the grandiosity, to show the majesty, to show the power, to show the deep meaning of words. Because in this moment, it's as if the disciples just hear this phrase, Peace be with you. And they hear it as this greeting. And they miss. They don't really see. They don't really grab in this moment and take hold of the reality that it is Jesus who actually has given them peace with God. Who has restored those who believe in him to full relationship with who Jesus is. I think you've had moments like this in your life where whatever was happening, you kind of couldn't hear what was being said around that moment. Almost because what you see, what you behold, is captivating all of your attention. All of your senses. I have one of these. It's a wedding day. It's my wedding day. When we got married, and I bet a number of you are like this. You, you can't look back and remember what the minister said. I do this. I marry people. I can promise you. They don't remember very much of what's said. They don't. Why? Because they're enthralled with one another. They're looking at one another. They're gazed at one another. But they'll look back and they'll remember, just like I have and likely you have, the power of those words, that covenant, that promise, that vow. 
In this moment, the disciples are enamored with the resurrected body of Jesus. And in the midst of this, as if that wasn't enough, he tells them even more. That it's because of this resurrection, it's because of his life that he can give life. That everything that has been accomplished on the cross is now given. It's imparted. It's literally deeded to those who believe. It becomes your possession. The reconciliation that we have with God, the freedom, the forgiveness of sins, these are not things that we think on and think, that's lovely. That, that, that would be a great thought. It's yours. Have you trusted in Jesus today? I know so many of you that have. I want to assure you, because of the resurrection life of Jesus Christ, these things are yours. The blood has been applied. The chains are broken. You are set free. And Jesus is telling this to his disciples, even in this little phrase. Because he tells us what the blood has done in that small phrase on the cross. It is finished. To tell us that. That word means finished and totally and completely full. It would be the same word that, that would be used by John to describe the way that Jesus had loved them. He loved them to the end. He loved them to fullness. And in this phrase, the shalom, peace be with you, Jesus is saying that this is yours. And here's how you can know that, because it doesn't just mean peace be with you. It actually means something even deeper, even more. It means peace be upon you. Jesus is saying, not I hope you get peace. He is saying, I give you my peace. He is actually placing it. He is putting it upon them. The very power of everything that has been done on the cross, it is applied to those who believe. This is the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's of first importance. It's of paramount importance that Jesus be resurrected. Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verses 1 through 5, and he would tell us the gospel, and that resurrection is an intrinsic part. It must be, he must have been raised. This is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ that we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. It says this, and it'll be on the screen before you. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. And this is it. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. This is the word of the Lord to which we say, thanks be to God. This is incredible, because Paul describes the gospel 
It's not just that Jesus lived a sinless life. It's not just that Jesus was perfect. It's not just that he died, but that it was, he was buried and he was raised on the third day. And part of that resurrection life is him appearing to John, the beloved one. The one who writes these words. The one who's kind of hilarious because in his gospel account of the resurrection, he talks about outrunning Peter twice. That guy who has a sense of humor and who's funny and can outrun his friend, who's human like me and you, beheld, he saw the resurrected Son of God. And so we trust that these words have been handed down by faithful men because God has willed it for us to see and believe in who Jesus is and what he's done. To believe and trust in the good news that while we were sinners, Christ died for us and that he was buried and he was raised on the third day. Why is this important for us? I think quite often you and I and, and most of us that either either grew up in church or we worship in church consistently, we're a part of a church, or we might just kind of know the, the Christian lingo, it's very common for us to talk about the death of Jesus, that Jesus has died. But it's of paramount importance. It's of first importance, not just that he died, but that he was resurrected. Why? This is what Paul writes in that same chapter in verse 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're, you are still in your sins. If he has not been raised, then these things to me and to you, they're not applied. But because Jesus has been raised, Romans 8 would tell us that that it's the very spirit that has raised Jesus that will raise us to life. But because Jesus has been raised, Ephesians 2 and chapter 5 is going to tell us that we were dead. Not like we weren't good enough or we were struggling or we were almost dead. That we were dead And that by the power of the Spirit that raised Jesus, we've been made alive with God. That's the power of the resurrection. So much so that Paul would say in Colossians, since then you have been raised with Christ. He tells us to set our minds on God. How do we do that? Because we're raised with Him. We're raised to newness of life so much so that our life is hidden with Christ in God. When you trust in Jesus Christ, this incredible thing happens, and I can't show it to you in the sense that I can articulate and give you a formula and show you the inner workings of it, but I know that this is what happens. You are taken up out of the world, and you are given new life, new life, and you're thrust back into the world to go live with Christ in you by the Holy Spirit. This is real. If you've trusted in Christ, this has happened to you. And the promise for you is that you get to experience life in Jesus Because of his death and his resurrection. Because in the resurrection of Jesus, all of the scriptural promises, they find their culmination and their truth. Every yes and amen in his resurrection. Jesus would talk about peace before he goes to the cross. After that Monday, Thursday, after that last supper, he will say these words to his disciples who he knows are fearful. He's been telling them all along the way, there will be a time when I leave. And in John chapter 14, 
The apostle records that he says to them, Peace be with you, my peace I give to you. you got to look deep into the language to see that this phrase is saying that this is peace that will come. That this is peace that will happen in the future. That this is peace that you will get to experience in the future. And these disciples, when they heard these words, I'm telling you, it is so normal and natural for them to be colored by the world that they live in. When they hear that word peace, they hear it in a very specific way. If you lived in this time and this place, you would have known of something called the Pax Romana. In other words, the peace of Rome. And that sounds like a really beautiful phrase. The peace of Rome. Quite frankly, it sounds like, it sounds like, a, like a tourist type slogan. It sounds like a phrase. Like, come visit Rome. Come experience the peace of Rome. Do you know what the peace of Rome was? It was the sword. Pax Romana meant to everyone within earshot that the government, that this empire, that this authority will have its way and it will happen by the very power of the sword. That that violence would triumph. And the peace that the Jews longed for, even these who were following Jesus, was such that they longed for a, a power, one that was so violent and so strong and couldn't be overtaken, that would be even more than the Pax Romana. It would be more than the peace that, that is so, the, the power that is so brought by this crazy, incredible empire, that the power of God, the peace of God, would come through even more victorious power and victory in this human way. By the sword. Even to the end, Jesus' disciples can't shake this. They can't get out of the humanness of thinking that in order to, to, to win, we must kill. Peter attempts to do it in the garden, do you remember? Jesus asks his disciples to pray on the night that he's to be betrayed, to be handed over. He asks his disciples to pray. And they do what we would have done. They just fall asleep. They can't hang. They can't pray. They're falling asleep all around him. Jesus makes the decision in this garden to restore all the goodness of the first garden as he longs to restore creation through his life, death, and resurrection. And he commits to doing so. And in the midst of all of this, in the prayers to his father, he says, it's enough. My time has come. My betrayer is at hand. So Judas, the Roman guards, they come. And what does Peter do? He takes the sword. He takes the sword and he cuts off the ear of one Roman soldier, one Roman guard. And Jesus restores it and said, no, this is not the way. Because the peace be with you that Jesus gives is truly the end of war. And not just the end of, of physical war, of battle in this day and age. Much more so than that. It's the end of war. Where people would be separated from God. Jesus defeats the sword by ultimately dying by the sword that the state gives him. That Rome gives him. That the Jews put upon him. That the chief priests put upon him in the cross. And that blood that is shed can now be applied to you and I for our sins. For our betrayal. 
for how we have not loved God and we've only loved ourselves. We can now have peace with God, so much so that the war of sin and death is over. There is no way to walk through Holy Week without reckoning with our mortality. You and I will die. You and I will die. We will leave these mortal bodies. At one point, we will breathe our last. But who else can say when death comes for us, death, where's your sting? Death, where is your victory? With the knowledge that death has been swallowed up in Jesus' death and resurrection. I'm a human being. I fear a ton of things. I'll be very candid with you. I want to say that I have no fear of death. That would be a lie. It is normal to have trepidation and to fear that which we don't know. But here's what I would offer you. What we don't know is only what we don't know in full yet. Because what we do know is that you and I can look at death and say, Death, where is your sting? Where is your victory Death is swallowed up in victory because of Jesus Christ. That's real. That is really real for you today. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ, you will experience death not. Why? Because Jesus himself in this very gospel would tell Martha, surrounding the death of Lazarus and his subsequent resurrection... Whoever dies, if he believes in me, though he dies, he'll live. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. And then he looks at her and he asks her this question. He says, do you believe this? And this is the point. This is the point of all of this. This is the point of all of us being legitimately I'm in a blessed position right now because I'm not shoulder to shoulder like you are, right? This is the point of us being in this room together. Is truly to believe this gospel. I want to show you what John the Apostle, the one who's faster than Peter, would write here in verses 30 through 31. At the end of this very chapter, this is what he writes. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord in which we say, thanks be to God. And how can we not thank God for this? Because this is the truth of the scriptures that we're called to believe in Jesus. The one who's the resurrection and the life. The one who speaks peace to us. It's not peace you and I can go get. Do you understand that all of the work of the cross and the resurrection had nothing to do with us? 
saved for our sin. It is finished means that Jesus has done the work. He has atoned for your sins. And you're called to rest in that, to trust in that, to believe in that. When Jesus says, peace be upon you, to his disciples, he's saying effectually to you and me, my peace is to you. Not come get my peace if you're good enough. Not come take a relationship with me if I accept you. This is why the gospel is different than everything else in the world. Ecclesiastes would tell us that that God has set eternity in the heart of man. I don't have to tell you that you're a sinner. I don't have to tell you that. You feel it. You truly do. And if you haven't yet, you will. You will. And you'll know there will be this feeling that will crop up in you that I was made for something more. I was built for something more. There's got to be more to life than, than this relationship or this job or this money or this status or this title or this bank account or this home or this accolade, any of these things. You will come to this place where you will realize if you haven't already that these things do not satisfy you. That you long for something more. And there's going to be this part of you that's going to believe the lie that the enemy tells you and believe the lies of the world and the things that every other thing, every other religion under the sun would tell you, you just get good enough. You just do better. You just grow and you just be a better person. Just go get better. Do more. Try harder. Get better. And the gospel says, no, it's finished. This is done for you. The work of the cross, the atonement, the sin is paid for by Jesus. And the peace that he gives, the life, the resurrection life that he gives, he says, peace be upon you. It's me that gives it to you, not you. In so many ways, we ought to see it in this passage because these men are locked behind closed doors out of fear. And this is the length to which God has has gone. He shows us that he is pursuer. He shows us that Jesus pursues all of us. It is not us who go to him. It is him who comes to us. How do we see that? Because he literally walks through a wall in his resurrected body to get to them and to tell them they have peace in him. Do you understand that? This is the God that is always coming after us. These are the pictures that we have of him coming after us. The cross, where he dies for all of our sin. And the tomb from which he rises, raised by the power of God, the very Holy Spirit, to life, so that you and I can have real life, a real relationship with Jesus Christ. This is the call for all all of us this morning, it's to believe. It's to believe in the name of Jesus that we might have life. And I mean this, it's for all of us. And you might say, well, Michael, I did believe. I believed in Christ. I have believed in Christ. I became a Christian. You need to know that John is writing this to Christians. So for him to say to a group of people who've already believed, 
believe in the name of Jesus Christ so that you might have life. He's telling them, this is what life is. Not belief once in the past, but to continually believe in, to trust in, to find your identity in, to recognize that all of your salvation is bound up in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not in how good you were today. Not in how kind you were. And that in the midst of your sin, you will not be destroyed. Because Christ has taken on that punishment for you and has exchanged and given you his life. This is the gospel. And so we talk about this at Double Oak Community Church all the time. This is our core value. The first of the, first of the three is this, that we would believe in the gospel continually. This is, what, this is a scriptural thing. John says this to believers. So you may sit here this morning and say, look, I think you're preaching to people who have not yet believed. No, I'm preaching to you and to me. Can we believe the gospel? Can we leave this place with the eyes of our heart more open to the fact that Jesus died for me? Jesus has risen and all of my life is in him. All of my hope is in this. All of my hope, all of my identity. It's not in the the earthly life I've built around myself, but the life that Jesus has given me, his very peace that he's put upon me and thereby applied everything that's accomplished on the cross. Could we believe in that this morning? And if you're in this place this morning and you have not believed these words, for some of you, these words might be new or they might be different or they might be strange, and I can understand that. Here's what I would offer you. This thing called the gospel, John's gospel that he writes, this succinct picture of the gospel we get in 1 Corinthians 15 that Paul offers, this gospel means good news. It's good news for all of us who realize that not only does life not satisfy but that we've lived as those who've only loved ourselves and we've rebelled against God. The gospel so often we hear is in this way, in John's gospel as well, he writes in chapter 3, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Believing in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus It's where we find eternal life. Because you and I are that world. He so loved the world, us, the world. That word world, it means not just everybody on the planet. It means all of us who have failed to trust in God. All of us who've rebelled against the order of God's creation. All of us who've failed his commandments. And yet he gives Jesus so that we might have life. If you're in this place this morning and you have not trusted in Jesus... I would urge you to follow the instruction and the pleading of Scripture to believe in the name of Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection, so that you might have life eternal. For all of us, there's a question this morning. Just as Jesus would say to Martha, Do you believe this? 
Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is truly the resurrection and the life? We're going to take a moment to respond, and our worship team is going to come. And we're going to sing, and we're going to respond with praise and worship the God who has given himself so that we might have life. We're going to celebrate together. As we walk toward that moment, pun intended, we've got a lot of people walking toward this place right now, okay? As we walk toward that moment, even where we're seated, could we begin to think on this question? Do I believe this? Do I rest in this? Do I repent? Do I turn from, from my human, terrible, selfish, prideful way of thinking? And will I yield myself to this true reality? That Christ has died and that Christ has risen. And that all of my hope is bound up in the fact that Christ will come again. May we be people who believe in who trust in, who rest in this gospel. Christian, today is a day to be reminded that you are not saved based on your merit. That Christ is the one who has finished the very work of salvation for you. And in his resurrection, he applies the power, all of that salvation, all of that benefit, that life, is given to you, it's put upon you, it becomes new, and all you got to do is believe and trust Him. So believer, this morning, for the millionth time, do that again. Trust in Him, rest in Him, and glory in Christ crucified and Christ resurrected. And again, if you have not trusted in Jesus. We want to give you the opportunity to come and trust Him. I'm a transparent guy. I'm an open book. Here's what I'm going to say. I grew up in a world, in churches where when you wanted to make a profession of faith, you came down front. Our society doesn't do a whole lot of that anymore. We just don't. But we want to still give you the opportunity. So as we sing and during our time of response, following a, a brief moment of prayer, I'm going to be here to receive you. If you want to come and trust in Christ, profess that, that God has worked in your heart, your, your eyes have been opened to the resurrection life, and you want to trust in Jesus, myself and, and, and Richard Jen, Val and Joe will be here to receive you up front. We'll actually have people in the back as well. I know uh, Hunter and Hannah and, and, and Brian uh, and Mandy are going to be back there as well. Look, if you want to trust Jesus, come do that. And take this time to just respond in worship to the glory of what God has done. If you just want to come pray, if you just want to come describe what God has done in your heart, let's worship together in this moment. You have freedom in this moment. So I'm going to ask uh, Richard, Jen, if you guys will come, Joe and Val, uh, Richard Self and his wife Jen, Joe Harvey and his wife Val. These are elders of our church. Uh, Jacob and Chessa are going to be in the back uh, to welcome people as well. Let's just take a few moments and truly take an opportunity to respond and to rejoice in the fact that our Savior is alive. That we can have life because He lives. This is true. 
this is true. God has done this so that we could have life. Can we experience that life this morning? If you will, pray with me. Heavenly Father, we are modern people in a modern world. We are busy. There are so many things that we are involved in and a part of. And Father, quite often, we are prone to miss simple phrases enamored with all that's going on around us and then we come back and and we're drawn to the reality of that moment and what it actually meant, Father. Even in the coming days, will you draw us back to this moment and help us remember that it is through your resurrection, Jesus, that you apply the work of the cross to us. It is your life that is given to us. It is your peace that has been put upon us so that we can have a relationship with you. God, you the Father and the Holy Spirit. So Father, in this moment, we long to glorify you, to glorify your Son, Jesus, who's been raised for us and has raised us to life. God, help us to worship you in spirit and truth in this moment and to celebrate our Savior, our Lord who is risen. And it's in his name, in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray.